Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series on the, the drama of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We're in week two of uh, that second act on the fall. If you were here last week, uh, Steve looked at that tragic scene in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve disobey God and they brought sin and its consequences into the world. And just in that one chapter of Genesis, I mean, the impact of their sin is vast. Shame enters the world. They started hiding from God. They began blaming each other for their sin. They began living in exile, separated from God. The fall was devastating. And as you move out of Genesis 3 into the rest of Scripture, I mean, the story continues. It's just more of the same. And, and, and as, you, as you read through the rest of the Bible, the reality is the Scripture shows just how Adam and Eve's sin infected everything, everything. And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at the fall in the rest of Scripture. And we're going to look at a number of different passages, a kind of survey, a very quick skim because there's just way too much material to cover. But we'd love to see sort of just kind of the, how the big picture of the fall, uh, how it's played out in the rest of Scripture. And this is vital because, as Steve said a couple of weeks ago, that if we're going to live well, we really need to understand the story in which we are living. And if we don't understand the depth and the breadth of the fall, we won't make sense of our lives. We won't make sense of the world around us. Uh, we will not be able to live with wisdom. And so we really do need to know the depth of the fall. Now, obviously, there's, as I said, there's way too much material to, to look at this morning. If we were to look at everything the Bible says about the fall, you'd be in for maybe a several-year sermon series on this topic. So we're just going to pick a few highlights that give a big picture of the fall this morning. And at the end, then, I want to think a little bit about how we respond. How do we respond? How do we live and pray in light of the reality that, that we live in a world that's really broken by the fall? And so let's start by looking at the big picture of the fall. So fall happens in Genesis 3. You come into the next eight chapters of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 12 is when God calls Abraham and he begins to initiate the start of Act 3. But chapters 4 through 11, 8 chapters of, of a lot of history kind of pressed down into those eight chapters. And the very first story that you read about in Genesis chapter 4, it's about Adam and Eve's, their boys, Cain and Abel, right? And uh, at some point, Cain and Abel, they are moved to present offerings to the Lord. And the scripture tells us that the Lord was pleased with Abel's offering, but he didn't receive Cain's offering. And uh, as a result of that, Cain eventually becomes jealous towards his brother, and hatred fills his heart, and he murders his brother. Jealousy, hatred, murder, effects of the fall. Coming to chapter 5, which traces a genealogy from Adam to Noah. And you might initially read that and go, I don't know what's here about the fall, but uh, it's there as well. Enoch is one of the men listed in this uh, list of people, and the scripture tells us he was taken to heaven, he didn't die. But for every other person, it gives their name, it gives them how long they lived, and their firstborn child, and then it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, every one of them. And that was never God's plan, that was never God's intent, death, but it's the result of the fall. Genesis chapter 6, the next chapter, we read this. 
In verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was, listen to this, only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Wickedness, great on the earth, only thinking about evil continually. And that's what God sees, and he's grieved. And so in a few verses later, then we read this, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Think back to Genesis chapter 2, Act 1, as we were looking at creation. Remember how it was described? Over and over again, God said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Everything I'm doing, it's good. But this is a very different world now. It's filled with corruption. It's filled with violence. It becomes so bad in chapters 7 and 8, the Lord decides to bring a flood to wipe out humanity, to sort of start over. He spares Noah and his family because Noah is called righteous, it says in, in, uh, back in chapter 6, verse 9. Once the flood subsides, Noah and his family, they, they make a new start. And in Genesis 9, God gives Noah the very same command that he gave to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And we begin to see that. Noah begins to cultivate the ground again, and it says he plants a vineyard. But in 9 verse 21, it tells us that Noah too is affected by the fall. He becomes drunk, and uh, in his nakedness, his, his son's seen him in his tent, and there's some kind of shameful thing that happened, but the fall impacts righteous Noah. In chapters in chapter 10, we're given the descendants of Noah, and the earth is again populated. But then in chapter 11, we read about how the people of the earth, uh, they, they gather together to build a great city, and they gather together to br- build a great tower, the Tower of Babel. And in verse uh, 4 of chapter 11, they say, let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And so there's this, this arrogance, this vanity, let us do this. But there's also direct defiance of God's command because God had told them through Noah, go and, and, and fill the earth. And yet their impulse is, let's do this. Let's build a city. Let's be this, build this tower lest we be scattered. We don't want to go and fill the earth. We want to stay here. We want to be together in direct disobedience to that command. The fall affects everything. We could go on and look at more of the historical books. We could look at the, the time of the patriarchs. We could look at the time of the exodus. We could go on and we could look at the time of the judges. Or we could go look at all the history of the kings of Israel and Judah. And it would all continue to reveal the devastating effects of the fall. It's all over the history in the Old Testament. We could look at the wisdom literature, Proverbs and Psalms, and, and see it th- there as well. But I want to jump forward to the prophets because the prophets give us another insight in ter- terms of the way the fall has affected our world. They address kind of a unique aspect of the fall. And so I want to read just a couple of passages, uh, one from Ezekiel, one from Michael, Micah. Ezekiel 22, verse 6. It says, Behold, the rulers of Israel, each according to his power, have been in you, and he's talking about the city of Jerusalem. Each has been in you, Jerusalem, for the purpose of shedding blood. They have treated father and mother lightly within you. The alien they have oppressed in your midst. midst. The fatherless and the widow they have wronged in you. 
When you think about the purposes of God's rulers, his, the, the rulers he establishes on earth, they should be about advancing God's good purposes. But Ezekiel says they haven't been doing that. They've been about shedding blood. They haven't respected the role of mothers and fathers like they should. They have oppressed the alien in their midst. And the fatherless and the widow, they have wronged. They've taken advantage of them. Jump forward to Micah 3, verse 1. It says this. It says her leaders, and it's talking about the nation of Israel here. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price. And her prophets divine for money. Micah is addressing corrupt civil and religious leaders. He says, you have judges. They're giving verdicts for a bribe. You have priests and prophets They don't teach what God wants them to teach. They teach what people want to hear for a price. They'll teach anything that they want. Prophet, priest, king. These were roles that God had established on earth. They were were meant to express godliness in a way and to lead the people in, in such a way that there would be shalom on earth, that there would be justice and that good might flourish. And yet all of this is corrupted by the fall. None of these are leading in the way that they're supposed to lead. And so, yes, the fall has deeply affected the individual human heart, but it has created deep brokenness in society, our society, government, economic systems, rulers, leaders, all of this has been touched by the fall. None of this works like God intended for it to work. And in some ways, I don't even have to tell you that, right? I mean, just pick up the paper, you read the news every day, and it's all over the place. We see this lived out every single day. From Genesis 3 to Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, we see the effects of the fall all over. And uh, we can look at a lot of passages in the New Testament, but I want to look at just a few in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, at the start of this book, Paul is making the argument that, that everyone is guilty. And uh, there's a lot more we could read here, but let me just read a couple of things out of Romans chapter 1. He describes the effects of the fall this way, starting in verse 21. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Not honoring God, futile thinking, foolish hearts, darkened fools, worshiping the creator or the created instead of the creator. Results of the fall. Or jump down to verse 28, he says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, 
they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Paul is describing just the utter spiritual, moral bankruptcy of humankind. And we see this all around us every day, right? We see it in our hearts as well. This, this is the effect of the fall. We are deeply broken by the fall. But the fall did not just affect mankind. It affected all of creation. So if you jump forward to Romans chapter 8, a couple of verses there. In verse 19, he says this, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation itself, in some way, is affected by the fall. It was subjected to futility. It experiences slavery to corruption. And people have different understandings what this exactly means and how this exactly came about. But one thing that is perfectly clear is that the Bible teaches that the created world, all of it, has been touched by the fall. The human being, our hearts, and all of creation, everything is affected by the fall. Now, I want to back up to, to just look at one other passage in, in Romans chapter 5. And uh, in the first four chapters of Romans, Paul has been arguing everyone is sinful, everyone is in need of Christ, and, and everyone's, whether that you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, that's true of you, everyone is in need of a Savior, and he's been arguing that Christ is that one. And as you come to chapter 5, he, one of the things he explores here is the question of how did it come to be that, that all of humankind, in fact, are sinners? How did that come to be? And so he says this, he says in verse 12, therefore, just as... Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law was in the world, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. And then in verse 18, he says, So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And so what we looked at last week, Adam's sin... It affected all of us, you, me, everyone. When Adam sinned, in a sense, the whole human race was, was in Adam. And, and at that point, we all uh, became infected by sin. And so death spreads to all men then because all men sin. And so the result is all men, all of humankind are under condemnation. And so if you add it all up, um, the fall is pretty devastating, right? You're probably going, stop, <laughs> enough, that's enough, I get the point. Um, if you add it all up, though, inwardly, our hearts are inclined towards evil. Apart from Christ, our hearts are inclined to evil. We are rebels, we are lawbreakers. 
Morally, before a holy God, we are guilty. We are not basically good. That is not what the story of the Bible tells us. Spiritually, we no longer have fellowship with our creator. We have been cast out. We are separated from him. Relationally, we are, we are cut off from each other. Socially, things like jealousy, hatred, evil, these things are our bent. And they affect everything. And so society, the systems and the structures that ought to bring about God's shalom instead oppress and, and do things that are unjust. And though we didn't look at it very much, environmentally, all of creation is subject to futility. The fall is devastating in every single way. The depth and the breadth of the fall has touched everything. And so that's the big picture of Act 2 in the drama of Scripture. This second act about the fall says that we have a problem. We have a very big problem. And if this were the end of the drama, if there were not Act 3 and Act 4, this would be a very sad story, be a very depressing story. But there is Act 3, redemption. There is Act 4, restoration. God doesn't want us to leave us here in scene two, act two, the fall. He wants us to experience act three and act four, and that's the message of the Bible. And so please come back next week and the next few weeks. There's going to be a little better news, kind of the rest of the story. But uh, let me take a few moments just to talk about some of the ways that we can respond to the reality that this is the world that we live in. This, this world deeply marred by the fall. And I, I think there's all kinds of implications when we deeply understand the fall. So here are just a few thoughts of ways to respond. I think it's important for us to understand in light of the fall, how, how deep and how wide, how significant the impact is, that we acknowledge the answer is not in us. The answer is not in you. Act two in the drama of scripture tells us that the starting point for all of us in this life is alienation from God. Doesn't matter if you've been born into a Christian family. Doesn't matter if you've been raised in the church. Doesn't matter if you've done a lot of really good things in your life. The starting point for all of us is alienation from God. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We are flawed, broken, sinful people. Every single one of us. We are separated from God. We are spiritually dead, and we have zero capacity in ourselves to change any of that. That's what the story, the drama of Scripture tells us. That's what Act 2 of this drama tells us. And in this state, if we don't eventually find ourselves in Act 3 and Act 4, Scripture says that we're looking at a future eternally separated from God. The consequences of the fall means that every one of us has a huge need. And we need to be saved out of this situation. And here's the important thing to hear. The answer is not in you. The answer is not in you. You can't be good enough. You cannot do enough good things to try to work your way out of this predicament. The answer is not in you. The answer is in what Paul talked about there in Romans chapter 5. Through the obedience of the one. Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. 
The answer is not in you. The answer is in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so trust him. Trust him alone. That's part of what we're going to start looking at next week. Most of us here this morning, we have trusted Jesus. We've experienced the reality of being made righteous in God's eyes through Jesus' obedience. We've experienced Act 3 in the drama of Scripture. And yet this point that the answer is not in you, it's really important for us still as we live life in this world. Because we continue to struggle with the effects of the fall as believers in a deep way. We all continue to struggle with areas of sin and brokenness. And sometimes we can think, if I just would just try a little bit harder, if I could just somehow make myself be a little bit better, I could get there. We struggle with anger, greed, pride, lust, or some other kind of addiction. As we struggle with those kind of things, we need to remember the answer is not in me. The answer is Jesus. We continue to trust him. We continue to trust him to change me. See, if you think that somehow you can sort of pull this off yourself to sort of fix those areas of your life that are broken, if you think it's in you to do that, you don't understand the depth and the breadth of how the fall has marked your life. You have a part, you participate, but you need to understand the answer is not in you. Secondly, I think if we really understand the effects of the fall, it can help us live with compassion. It can help us live with compassion towards ourselves and towards each other. I think we should live with more compassion towards ourselves when we really understand the, the effects of the fall. Uh, none of us yet are who God created us to be in Christ. We'll be there one day. I mean, that's the promise. That's the hope that we will be perfect in Christ. But in the here and now, there's still residual effects of the fall. We all still make mistakes. We all still sin. We all have broken areas in us. And I think sometimes we're really hard on ourselves. Uh, You know, we just expect perfection from ourselves. And yet if we really understand how deeply the fall has affected us, I think we can be and should be a little more compassionate towards ourselves. And, And we just continue to throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. We continue to come back to him, the one who loves us, the one who accepts us. But maybe we should just be a little more compassionate on ourselves. We also can live with compassion towards others. Whether that's your your spouse or your parents or your children or your neighbor or your friends or your enemies or your classmates or your teachers or that guy in the car behind you. We can have such high expectations for each other sometimes, right? When you think about the, maybe the people that you live the closest to, sometimes we can be so demanding of our spouses or our, our kids or our family or, or the guy across the hall, right? We, we can be so, we just, we just want them to live perfect lives so they don't bother us. We, 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 just, we can be so demanding. We expect a lot from each other. See, if we understand the fall, we, we realize that's not possible for anyone to kind of live that way. And, and I think we should just be a little more compassionate towards each other. We, we're all in this story of brokenness. Those of us who know Jesus, and certainly those who do not yet know Jesus, it should give us a lot of compassion to those who do not yet know Jesus because they're experiencing the full weight of the fall. You look at Jesus in the scriptures and how he encountered sinful, broken people marred by the fall, 
and there was compassion. Our open arms, compassionate Jesus. That's how he related to broken people. And see, I think if we really understand the fall, we can be in a place of compassion towards people. And honestly, I think we'd be in a place to, to help point people to the solution in a lot better way if we will love people and be compassionate rather than judgmental. Understanding the fall should help us live with compassion. Third, I think it should help us live with urgency as well. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if it was two Sundays ago, I forget exactly how long back, but we were watching Hurricane Florence hit the East Coast, right, and all the devastating flooding. And one of the things you see are first responders heading out uh, into that, that peril. I mean, lives were at stake. So first responders, are, you know, they're not home eating their cornflakes, watching Jim Cantore on the Weather Channel. They're out there doing what makes sense in light of the urgency of people's lives in peril. And see, if we rightly understand the reality of the fall, we know that lives are in peril. Every man, every woman, every child has sinned. As a result of the fall, if they were without Jesus, they are alienated from God. They are lost. Their spiritual lives are in peril. And God has called us to be kind of spiritual first responders, understanding that there's urgency. There's urgency. We need to be people who love and care for others. We help point them to the answer that is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Sometimes I don't think we understand the fall enough. Sometimes we don't live with urgency. We need to live with urgency when we understand the fall. Finally, I think if we understand the fall, we will be moved to pray more consistently and more passionately that God's kingdom would come. I know this week, as I have spent more time thinking about the fall and the effects of the fall, probably than I have you know, ever in, in my life in terms of a real focused way, I've been sort of uh, processing the world around me, the news through the lens of the fall. And, and I think I've experienced... Um, Maybe more sadness about it than I ever have before when you realize what God designed in Act 1 was something good and beautiful, and that's what he wanted for us, and yet here we have this Act 2 where everything is broken, and it's created just some, some sadness in my heart when I realize this is not the world that God created, and it's caused me to want to pray with greater fervency, God, would your kingdom come? See, the kingdom of God is where the reign of God shows up, Right? And, and when the reign of God shows up, there's shalom, there's peace, there's wholeness, there's that goodness that God originally created. And it's caused me to want to just pray, God, would you bring your kingdom now while we wait for Jesus? That'll be the fulfillment of his kingdom coming. But even now, his kingdom is on earth. It's in our hearts. It's spreading. And so just we pray, God, would you bring your kingdom? And so this week, as you're aware of brokenness in our world, pray, God, would your kingdom come to this area of brokenness? When you read about abused and neglected children, when you pray, God, will your kingdom come in that situation? When you read about homelessness or hunger, poverty, God, God, would you bring your kingdom in that situation? When you hear about people being sexually abused or trafficked, would you pray, God, would your kingdom come in this area? When we see broken political systems, when we see war, when we see all sorts of stuff like that around the world, pray, God, would you bring your kingdom in these areas? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Jesus told us to pray that way. 
And I think when we understand the nature of the fall, there's a sense of urgency to pray that way because the answer is in the kingdom of God. We need the kingdom of God to come. So pray, Jesus, bring your kingdom. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the second act in the drama of Scripture is not the end of the story. It's an important part of the story, but it's not the end of the story. But in understanding Act 2, the fall, we understand that everything, everything about us has been affected. Everything around us has been affected, but it's not the end of the story. Thankfully, it's not the end of the story. And so next week, we're going to start looking at uh, Act 3 in the drama scripture, redemption, and then the two weeks after that, uh, restoration. So come back next week, be a little brighter, a little better news, but it is important for us to understand this because it is part of the world we live, the part of our story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scripture that, that tells us how things actually are. God, this world, everything you've created has been so deeply touched by the fall, by the sin of Adam and Eve. We're all part of that story. God, deepen our understanding, deepen our understanding of how significantly that has affected our own lives, our families, our towns, our cities, our world, the created world around us. And God, we look forward to days of redemption. We look forward to days of full restoration of things the way you created it. And yet right now we live in part in this act two of the drama of scripture. So may we be people that look for your kingdom, that pray for your kingdom, that, that live with a sense of urgency and compassion and that understand in a deep way the answer is never in us. It's found in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.